everybody um it's really nice to see everybody and that everybody was able to show up today i'm really excited to get this started um so welcome to craft's inaugural um, conversation series the food lovers elective at craft we seek to foster a transformative regional food system in Western pennsylvania that recognizes the central role of food, food systems in our society and values of the people who live who live and work within them we envision a food system that is equitable, fostering fairness and transparency across the value chain. A system that is sustainable, actualizing economic, social, and cultural well-being as part of the food system. And a food system that is inclusive, valuing dignity, sovereignty, and the inherent power of all people. So with this in mind, this week's episode is called Foodimation, the intersection of animation and food. Our host, Frankie Williams, is a former school teacher and food studies graduate student at Chatham University. Today, she is interviewing Sydney Clifton, the Senior Vice President of Animation and Mixed Media at the Jim Henson Company and founder of the Sydney Clifton House. This conversation will focus on the creation and skill it takes to animate food good enough to eat. This episode will take about an hour, with the last 10 to 15 minutes reserved for Q&A. Feel free to submit your questions using the Q&A feature on the bottom of your screen. Um, also, feel free to use the chat to leave comments or encouragement to our moderator and speaker or to talk to each other. We really want this to be engaging for you guys. All right, so please have fun. We are very excited to have you guys with us, so please enjoy the episode. And Frankie, I will leave it off to you. Thank you, Ani, and thank you, Ms. Clifton, for joining us today. How are you? I'm well, thank you, and please call me Sydney. Okay, I will call you Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it's good to see you, and as uh, Ani stated, you are the Senior Vice President of Animation and Mixed Media at the Jim Henson Company, and we just wanted to know what brought you to this role and how do you plan to influence it? Mm. Um, well, I've been an animation producer for over 20 years and for the last year and a half, I've been producing the animated version of Harriet the Spy for the Jim Henson Company and Apple TV. Um, mm. And as we uh, progressed through the production, it became clear that the Jim Henson Company, because of its, its pedigree and prestige, was an interesting place to create for creators. Um, mm. I was excited to be working with them as the producer on Harriet and was having this uh, conversations with the executives there, executive leadership. And they asked me if I'd be interested in joining in a um, more significant manner. And the mm. idea of being able to bring my experience and network and just sort of creative passions, I think, to this company that had such a pedigree was super exciting to me. So animation being my background, the mixed media also being an interest um, based on puppetry that Jim Henson is, is uh, absolutely known for, but also the, the, the intersection of animation, puppetry, and live action was just a great opportunity to do something interesting in the space. 
the way I plan to influence it is just to bring my network of storytellers uh, experience, um, really sort of pushing the global initiative on story uh, into that space with the company that's committed to doing so. So mm-hmm. just, it, it felt like, it, it feels like a great match. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, I have very fond memories of the production that the Jim Henson company has created. And I remember going to movies as a little kid with my family, watching some of the Muppets series. And it it feels like something that is um, intergenerational in a way, you know, it has that, it has that nice feel to it. Um, On top of this amazing career that you're speaking, you're speaking of, you are also the daughter of esteemed poet, writer, and educator Lucille Clifton. Mm. And um, I wanted to know if you could tell us how your mother's legacy has impacted your work. Mm. Well, in in every way, I guess is the quick answer. But I think <laughs> the fact that my mom was um, a poet and in her poetry, a truth teller mm-hmm. really impacts the way that I, I approach story um, and, and storytellers. I think mm-hmm. that um, that allows me or sort of forms the foundation of my commitment to finding the resonance in story from in, in people maybe who may be from disparate places. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important to me and I'm passionate about um, maintaining the integrity of stories, of storytellers driving their own narratives, of, of um, um, storytellers not only driving their narratives, seeing the value in them and supporting uh, uh, emerging storytellers in their, mm-hmm. in, their, in their craft, in their career, and, and, and even in their confidence that their voices and stories matter and yeah. deserve to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that makes me think of, what was the movie, actually? Um, I believe it was with August Wilson mm. and um, his stories and how it, it, it deals with the everyday, but there, that there's beauty within that. And yeah. so I, I admire that you take, that you take, um, that you are able to, to see the importance of everyday stories and emerging writers and storytellers. Um, I think that that's really important. Um, and my, my next question is, can you tell us more about um, maybe a food animation project that you've overseen or that one that you admire? Mm. It's, it's interesting because um, food is, is treated differently in uh, Western storytelling versus uh, storytelling from other countries. But something that I have admired was um, probably the one that everyone admires, which is Ratatouille, that in, in, oh. in a Western sense, only because it was about the love of food. And it was really interesting because I see sort of the intersection of not only animation and food, but the story of someone finding their passion regardless mm-hmm. of where they came from. Mm-hmm. And so the food was treated very beautifully, was designed beautifully, and it was designed to not only look beautiful, but to evoke the sort of five, the five senses in, in the animation, which I think it, it, it did well. It did. Um, so Ratatouille did that. I think that, um, I think Princess and the Frog did it well. Yes. Um, 
with um with with Tiana's uh gumbo and her yes. beignets <laughs> and um seeing the her her joy and commitment in her food but also that being um uh, uh a career to which she aspired and it was mm -hmm. deeply entrenched in her culture so that was beautiful um there's some interesting sort of anime um treatments of of uh of uh Japanese foods that is it it's um, usually beautiful and respectful the way that uh, food and food tradition and food ritual is treated in 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 Eastern um, in, in Asian animation so that that's quite interesting to see that because very often in Western or like in sitcoms or in uh, you know um, Western animated properties comedies uh, food is used as comedy as a comic uh, sort of element rather than something that is a part that is deeply entrenched in the storytelling yeah. is treated with dignity and respect so it's, it's interesting to see how it is treated and 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 why it is treated that way it really depends on the storyteller and the story the kind of story they're telling yeah it's um my fiance and my i have two younger brothers as well and they're really big fans of the dragon ball series uh -huh. and there are often scenes where they're eating and they just have this huge spread of food and i'm like oh my gosh what i would do <laughs> right now to just be <laughs> i need a seat at that table you know <laughs> and um we watched ratatouille at the beginning of this semester just to get ourselves back in uh, the food space again after break. And I, I love how the animators translated without showing, I mean, the food in there was absolutely beautiful, like you said, but um, I like the way that they, that they communicated the feeling that comes with yes. food when that, they have that scene with trying the strawberry with the cheese and, yes. you know, yes. the little swirls and the jazz music in the background. That was really creative. Yes. Um, so really beautiful. Uh, I what what made you want to go into animation? Uh, what what drew like what has drawn you to this particular medium? You know, interesting. I started out uh, wanting to be a writer, um, and I still write. But my goal was I was going to be a screenwriter and work in film and television. And um, um, I sort of got into animation sideways. And what I mean by that is I. Uh, I took a job in development at Film Roman. Um, uh, I was, at the time, I was um, assistant to the, the senior vice president of operations at Fox Sportsnet. Her friend had a uh, was going to Film Roman, was looking for a coordinator, and she knew that I was a writer and wanted to develop story. So that opportunity came. I was told, like, well, it's an animation studio. Is that okay with you? We may be doing other things, too. So I thought, like, well, it's development. It's storytelling. That's fine. Um, but when I got to Film Roman, I started working with animators and uh, the artists and was developing things. I just, I love the idea of creating a world out of your imagination. Mm -hmm. The fact that there were no limits. You were yes. limited only by what you could imagine was that was like the sky opened up and it also reminded me of the first time i saw an animated film in um the theater when i was a little girl and oh. it, it was it was cinderella so it was a little while ago <laughs> but, <laughs> and my babysitter took me to see cinderella and i remember when the curtain opened 
and that all the color was, I, I just gasped. I remember that feeling still. It was just like feeling of wonder, like, whoa, what is this? And being in the ability to create that um, was so just compelling to me. And then again, working with animators, I found just a group, it felt like I found my tribe because they were people who were, they could take what they imagined and put it on paper and you didn't even know how it would how it would end up looking. It could look yeah. any way. You could yeah. have even two people with the same idea and they would execute it according to their perspective and their lives and their influences. And that, I, you know, I also uh, um, used to paint when I was a younger and still do some, you know, once in a while now. So just that ability, the, 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 the confluence of content and art Oh, that just it's, it's inspired me from that time. And I, I haven't gone back. It's been, it's been amazing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think that that's one of the things that makes animation so appealing. Uh, and also anime as a genre too. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking about how imaginative it is. And like, the, like you said, like the other worlds that you're able to create and yeah. bring um, your audience with you. And I, I think that that's such a beautiful creative space to operate in. And mm -hmm. um, what qualities do you think a, an artist should focus on expressing in order to make food look appetizing? Because I know that we've talked about like, how Dragon Ball Z food looks really mm -hmm. tasty. And then the same with Ratatouille. Um, I, I'm thinking of the scene from Beauty and the Beast when, yeah. you know, like, be our guest. And I'm like, I'm going to try that gray stuff too. Like, I don't know what it is, but she's, they said it's delicious. I want to try it. But what do you think uh, animators need to focus on in order to make their viewers feel that hunger. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think it depends on the story. I think it's, you mm -hmm. focus on the truth of the story you're telling. So for example, in, um, as you mentioned in Be Our Guest, the truth of that story was that this was about bounty and magic, but also comedy. And mm -hmm. I think that it approach, approaching the food from that perspective allows you to make it slightly, you know, a little fantastical and, yeah. and you have to have a uh, humor in it as well, but also um, evoke that sense of, of, of luxury and largesse. Mm -hmm. Where on the other hand, um, in SpongeBob, to make a Krabby Patty, you don't necessarily have to make it look delicious. <laughs> you have to make it look believable. And we, we have to believe that SpongeBob would think it was delicious. So I really think it, it depends on the story you're telling. So if you focus on the truth of that, I think that um, that should sort of drive your design sensibility. Nice. Do do we actually know what goes into the Krabby Patty? Because it to, it does look appetizing to me. I'm, like, I'm, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone knows, but I'm not quite sure. Right. <laughs> Um, I wanted to know also, have you or uh, the staff that you work with, have you uh, ever had any kind of experiential learning uh, experiences to get you in the mindset of the, the world that you're trying to bring your audience to? Honestly, I think that all of us do research in different ways. Um, mm -hmm. 
um, I think certainly often it will be a matter of you know going to find the actual food uh but doing research about the food doing research about where the food comes from i mm -hmm. think is also interesting um immersing yourself in the world where it's grown how it's grown who tends it what the soil is like what the music is like what it smells like around mm -hmm. so i think that the more of that kind of again five sense research that one can um um really dig into the better and and the more accurately one can um execute in whatever whatever medium whether it's 2d 3d stop motion any of those kinds of media again Absolutely. based on the story you're telling so yeah that yes actually is a quick answer oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> that actually leads into my next question was how you approach a new food animation project or an animation project in general um, so that, thank you for sharing that. Um, I wanted to know, do you look to produce within a certain style or um, like for your brand or does it change from pro project to project? It absolutely changes from project to project. We yeah. really have to allow the story to be what it is mm -hmm. we, and um, we'll find the style based on the storytelling, uh, based on the storyteller too. But um, it's driven by authenticity. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes the authenticity is very photo real, but sometimes the authenticity is also extremely lyrical. It can be spiritual, it can be otherworldly. Um, really depends on, on uh, uh, what kind of story are we telling. Really let that drive the yes. formatting. Yes. Um, so, I think we kind of got into this a little bit, but could you tell me why do you think it's important to create something like animated food that is artificial and try to use it to convey something real, if that makes sense? I, I, yeah, I, I get that. And I think when you're creating the content in animation, you are allowing your audience an opportunity to suspend their disbelief, to step outside of their, mm -hmm. their current circumstance and take this journey with you that may yes. have nothing to do with their lives. And it's it, actually, you're, you're allowing someone a freedom that they may or may not have in their real life. Mm -hmm. So as an audience, if I can take this ride with you, there may be elements of it that are very real life. And it yeah. may want you, it may allow you to feel something that it, within the confines of your present day construct, you might not even have allowed yourself to feel. You might not have had felt mm -hmm. this before, but if you can suspend your disbelief and take this journey, hopefully if I am a successful uh, storyteller and you know content creator, I bring you along, I invite you into this space that, is safe and allows you the freedom to feel things that you may not have felt before or may have been afraid to feel before. I think it's really important. Oh, I love that phrase, suspend your disbelief. Mm, mm. That needs to be a hashtag, a t some, like a t-shirt. <laughs> thing put it on a mug like what i need i need it some i think some, we sometimes need those reminders yes, uh, yes yeah. to get out of our heads and out of our present 
um, situation. So I thank you for saying that. Is there a, a particular um, piece that's allowed you to go to that place, that one that you maybe haven't uh, produced or um, something that has allowed you to spend your, suspend your own disbelief? You know, I think almost, almost every animated feature does that at some point. Perhaps mm -hmm. the, perhaps the whole story doesn't, but I think the fact that I agree to enter the world that is presented to me just allows that, if I, if I allow myself that freedom. Um, yeah. And usually it's sort of, if I decide I'm going to watch, then I decide I'm going to take the journey too. And, you know, yeah. sometimes we go in and out when we're watching films. We <laughs> may be distracted. Sometimes there's you know, other stuff going on. You might pause. But if, even for that moment, you feel that, for me, it feels like a visceral sense of being lit up from the inside. Yes. And that, that feeling. Um, and that's, that, that's a gift. So yes. it, it, it's, it's, again, I, I don't know if there's any one specific. I mean, there are there are multiples. Mm -hmm. I, know, I know that although this was live action and um, CG animation and visual effects, you know, Black Panther did that for me. The, fe oh, the feature, yeah. um, the feature Up did it for me. Um, yes. Especially those first 20, 20, Lord have mercy, the first two minutes. Yep. Um, that piano playing, I cannot take it. No. It, it literally will like cause <laughs> the tears to spring from their ducts. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it, it took it. There's no dialogue, mm -hmm. and, but you take the journey and it just gets you every time. So yes. Yes. Those are just two examples. Oh man. I, I was thinking of, um, Avatar, the last airbender. Oh, and okay. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. being able to relate, uh, mm. to, the, like the four elements and everything. And then, um, I don't know, the kind of ethos that the yes. show was putting forth yes. through their storytelling. Mm -hmm. uh, it, like it made me want to be an airbender and like made me believe, I'm like, maybe do, like, do I have this power? Like, I don't know, you know? Um, it would be amazing if I did, but no, I, yeah. I was also wondering, um, do your food animations or animations that you've seen, do they share a common theme or a cause? Um, not necessarily, mm -hmm. honestly, um, because again, they, they show up for different reasons in the different projects. Right. Um, and in the ones that I've mentioned before that, that really resonate with me, um, Ratatouille and Princess and the Frog, the, it, the, the food is almost like the medium for the characters. It, it's the medium for their freedom in a way. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's, and it's a, a, a symbol of their, their passion and determination and sort of their, their core, core sense of being, I think. Yeah. Um, so the, the, those resonate with me um, just differently or more, more deeply, I think. Yes. Um, than others and in, in anime again you see that you see the respect for food um i just think that 
because we see it uh, um, prepared less in in anime, at least that I've seen. Um, mm -hmm. Seeing the preparation really makes a difference for me for some reason. Oh yes, yeah. I I like how you mentioned um, like that food was their vehicle or their way of uh, communicating their identity or the, or their mm -hmm. self because it's it's so intimate um, to be able to, well, to, to eat, first of all, but then to cook and to share it with others. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you, you really are sharing a part of yourself. Uh, and so I like that that connection was made. Um, so do you, I was wondering, do you ever try or does your staff try to engage the senses when you're when you're animating or um even with when it comes to like designing a food item right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. would there be a circumstance where uh maybe a person like has that food up in front of them as they're doing it as a reference like a 3d actual model or is it typically um something that you would find uh, online or just from your imagination? It really depends. Um, yeah. Very often people do want to see the actual food and, you know, smell it and taste it and hold it and see its its weight and how it, you know, how the light hits it a certain way. Um, yeah. I mean, research is fine. Online research is fine, but it doesn't mm -hmm. really take the place of, you know, the actual, seeing the actual thing, tasting the actual thing, yeah. and, you know, even, mm -hmm. you know, watching the preparation of a thing. So yes, is the answer to that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I wanted to know next, how do you, what what, what goes into revising an animation? Mm. It, it depends. Um, generally speaking, in the animation pipeline, if you're going to design something, so if we're talking about designing um, just each item that is designed is considered an asset. So if you were going to design an apple, for example, um, in 2D, someone draws it, and they have to draw it in the, the different um, the different sides of it so it can be animated. Mm -hmm. um, revising usually just comes early, where someone, usually a producer um, or director, will take a look at the design, decide that it's it needs some more of this, it needs less of this, the color needs to change, the shape needs to change, and then the whoever is doing the drawing, the designing, goes back and re revises it based on those notes. In mm -hmm. uh, CG, it's it, it, 3D animation, uh, like uh, um, uh, like the Shrek sort of a CG. It's different. It it, it takes a while because mm -hmm. the uh, the asset, the apple, would then be, be first be drawn, then it has to be um, designed in uh, 3D, usually using like ZBrush or something, and so sculpted. Mm -hmm. So at every element, at every stage, there are um, revisions possible. But the further down the pipeline you go, the fewer changes are are, are possible. So um, probably revise at the design stage, then on the um, sculpting stage. Then if something is, if uh, the asset's gonna be um, animated, they have to create a rig for it. So usually by the time you get to the rig, you've, 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 that's the last time revisions can be made uh, on a CG uh, object. So it's just on a regular cadence before animation starts. Once you get to animation, you pretty much, the designs are, are locked. Okay, so with CG then, would 
Um, does that process, is, is it the same animator who's doing the drawing and then doing the sculpt? It, it goes no. to different people? Yeah, not necessarily. It can, oh. but not necessarily. Yeah. So oh, it's wow. really, yeah, different teams. It sounds really collaborative. <laughs> it is. It is super collaborative. And that's why at the end of these of CG movies, you see like thousands of people have worked on this. Yes. <laughs> Credits just rolling. <laughs> yes. People are leaving the theater and people are, you know, going to get some coffee and credits <laughs> rolling. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, my, well, my next question is, what do you notice first when you observe someone's animation of food? Probably color. Mm -hmm. um, the way, uh, color, shape. Does it look like what I remember? If it's supposed, if it's supposed to be realistic, if it's not yeah. supposed to be realistic, did it convey what the story required? So, for example, um, um, the in the gumbo in Princess and the Frog, um, like when you saw shrimp in the thing, like that looked appropriate, you know. Yeah. Um, but because it was realistic, although slightly stylized, um, mm -hmm. yet in um, uh, cloudy with a chance, uh, you know, that food was lyrical, you know, yeah. very, very stylized and also was funny. Yes. So I, the, it was interesting and it felt like clever what they did with the shapes and what they did when they did the, the, um, the, uh, anthropomorphized versions of the fruit <laughs> under the strawberry. He was super cute, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> but still looked like a strawberry. So that was does it tell the story and does it is it accurate and bottom line is like do i believe this right yeah do i believe it within the context of this story mm. yeah I, I think princess and the frog felt very uh, believable to me um my family has a rich history with gumbo we love gumbo as seafood especially um we actually had a gumbo cook-off at our last thanksgiving it was a competition right? yes and, and and well we uh it was we had three people who entered it was all men actually it was two of my great uncles and my fiance he didn't make he didn't make gumbo he made a cocktail de camarón like a mexican shrimp cocktail Ooh. Oh, and okay. um, we gave out prizes at the end <laughs> to see who had the best gumbo, like gumbo cook-off. It was really nice. It was really fun. Yeah. But that, the way that it was, it felt believable in, in the sense that mm. aside from the, the visual standpoint of how the gumbo looked, mm -hmm. it like felt communal. Yes. And that was translated with the story mm -hmm. like you said yeah. um being that even if we don't have everything like we have enough like we can share mm. with people in our community and um i was yeah it was just really beautiful yes. <laughs> um so this is a i think a little different of a question but i am a big fan of stop motion animation mm -hmm. um do you have uh any projects with stop motion animation that you that you like or um anything like that i was just wondering um let's see probably i mean starting with the classic you know 
uh, Rankin Bass Christmas <laughs> specials, <laughs> of course. Um, so starting with those, but also I think Leica was doing amazing um, stop motion work, really detailed stop motion work. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. And they see a lot of it in commercial work, actually. And there's some, mm -hmm. there's some CG that is sort of created to look to resemble uh, um, uh, uh, stop motion, it, only because it's faster to uh, to animate. Um, yeah. But I um, see. Yeah, and with Coraline, someone mentioned Coraline in the chat. That was, oh. you know, that's. That was an amazing, amazing uh, property. Um, also, Tim Burton's work in uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and such. So he's doing really, I, it's creepy, but really <laughs> ap appropriate and looks great. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So those, those I, obviously, I didn't produce any of those, but I'm definitely a fan of the medium. Yes. I, I really uh, love the Wallace and Gromit series. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really, yeah. They just, I think they do a, a good job. Like that whole yeah. partnership and they're mm -hmm. really adorable characters. Yeah. Um, I am going over to our chat now because we have some more questions from okay. uh, some of our participants. Um, Quayla wants to know, hi Quayla. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, she, she wants to know, she said, your mother has written poems on her food moments, uh, thinking about cutting greens specifically. Mm -hmm. And she's curious to know what food moment you often revi revisit within your own memoir. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Beans and rice was something that my family had on the regular when I was when I was growing up, and I learned how to make it myself. And um, you know, sadly, my my daughter's allergic to beans and legumes, so we don't we don't eat them now. But beans and rice for there's there's a comfort there, yes, um, that just takes me home. Um, another one for me is peach cobbler. My dad Oof. taught me how to make peach cobbler. And when I, I remember, oh man, I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but I remember the first time I made one after he taught me and I heard my dad bragging about my peach cobbler. And I was like, I have made it. <laughs> I am now a chef. Right. <laughs> like, is not, I have not, arrived. Yes. Yes. Okay. You can't tell me a thing. Now, and, and it's, it's interesting because it's those moments of, that have something to do with family and mm -hmm. comfort um, that just really just take me to those those places really yeah, yeah. It's, it's all about what all about what does home mean yes yeah it's, I love how that was kind of like a rite of passage for you too like it sounds like you know being able to get it just like how your dad made it that's really nice yes yeah, <laughs> yes um, my, and greens too were a thing, you know, in my family. Oh. So being able to, you know, cut, um, cutting them and, and, and tearing them and doing the snap beans on the back porch, you know, and it almost like, they almost felt like, you know, black girl rites of passage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Yep, which I love and adore. Yes. Are you, so if we're talking greens. Are we talking turnip greens, collard it's greens, collard, mustard it's greens? Collard. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then with the beans or like red beans? I'm sorry, this is a, a selfish question for my oh, own. No, no it's, it was pinto beans. Pinto beans, yeah. Very nice. Um, another question that we have from the chat from Kala. Hi, Kala. Uh, she wants to know, what are your thoughts on the Pixar short bow? I'd love to say that I remember that exactly. Um, I think that it was beautifully rendered. Mm -hmm. I have to be honest, I don't remember the storytelling as well as I oh. I can give you a refresher if you want. Please do, please do, because I was absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So there is a mom who has made the bow, like the dumpling, yeah. and the dumpling is trying to like walk around and escape, and she keeps like protecting it, and she right. doesn't want the dumpling to go. Right, right. Oh my god. Okay, heartbreaking is is yes. the answer. Yes. <laughs> Spoiler. I don't want to spoil it, but heartbreaking. Yes. And beautiful. And another thing done without any words. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I watched that with my niece and nephews over mm -hmm. the course of the winter break. And um, we watched it before seeing Soul, actually. Oh, my. Okay. And um, I think I were waiting on something, but they were just like, oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh. And then, like, you guys are four, five, and seven. And, <laughs> and it touched you, too, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, Oh my goodness. <laughs> so uh, Jasmine is also has a question. Hi, Jasmine. Um, she said, uh, you said that food is used as a medium for their core sense of being. Um, what food would you say represents your core sense of being? I know that we talked about collard greens and uh, beans and rice, mm -hmm. peach cobbler. Is it one of those you think? Or it's probably, and it's probably combinations of those but i would also throw and all this, this is all southern stuff that i learned to make a long time ago but mm -hmm. macaroni and cheese mm -hmm. another one of them um and anything that <laughs> i'm sounding so southern right now anything <laughs> having to do if it has some hot sauce all of those and just that side of hot sauce on the side yes yeah, yes <laughs> I, I think if I were to, um, also, I'm a Southerner, so okay. we welcome any kind of Southern uh, energy here in this place. So, <laughs> um, but when you when you said you know uh, like being um, raised from this or coming from the South, that it made me think of grits and how I would use that, like, oh, I'm a girl raised in the South, you know? And mm -hmm. that would, if I had to say what was my core uh, being food, it's just mm. heartwarming, filling, yeah. comfort in a bowl yeah. that you can do anything with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Michael has a question. Hi, Michael. He wants to know, in your opinion, how does animation affect the believability of a true story? And the second part to that question is, does animation do a better job telling a story than live action? I think, let's see, so how does it affect the believability? Um, I think that its, it's advantage and its challenge is that it does 
have you suspend your disbelief. So it allows you to go into a world that is real-ish, but is really sort of um, representing the, uh, I guess like the core concept of a world with a, some often a fantastical edge. So it allows you, again, the freedom to think outside of your normal comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So which also then can allow you to then take in a truth that you might not take in um, prior. Mm -hmm. The challenge for that is that you can leave that same story thinking like, well, that wasn't exactly real. And so oh. that the, the, the difficulty there is how do you tell the story how do you sort of cement that in your in your audience it's challenging um yeah. and and the fact is i think it's for some people it's going to it it cements it and for some people it just doesn't and that's mm -hmm. you know that's kind of what stories will do that's why mm -hmm. you know very often you tell the same story in different ways because maybe this one will be the one that sticks um for someone else so mm -hmm. things just things resonate with people when they're ready to have them resonate or they don't, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I answered the question. Yes, I, I, okay. I believe so. Okay. Uh, Quayla has another question. She says, uh, I love that two Black women are in conversation about animation, an industry I didn't associate with Black women creatives until meeting you, Sydney. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what are three things you'd want Black women to know about starting a career in animation? Um, let's see. The first is that you have to absolutely be resilient. You have to be have creative talent. And you have to be determined that any no is just closer to your yes. Mm -hmm. um, so those three things are sort of like fundamentally for yourself. I'm gonna add a couple more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think Do it. Net network with people, ask questions. Um, mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Very often people say that it's about who you know in this industry and that's part of it, but mm -hmm. it's also about who you are in this industry. And what I mean by that mm -hmm. is if you approach someone to ask for mentorship, ask for advice. Um, I think just doing so with a really coming from a sincere place, knowing that people don't owe you these things, mm -hmm. but may be committed to sharing and giving back, depending on the way you approach. I've had I've had um, 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 inquiries about you know, looking at portfolios and, and such. And, and sometimes just my schedule is ridiculous. So I can't look at it. I can look at the portfolio, but it might take me a week to get to it. Mm -hmm. um, if after a week you haven't heard from the person, I think your next follow-up is just either a gentle reminder or being respectful of their time, but mm -hmm. be persistent um, because most people really want to help just often at a certain level, people are just super busy. I mean, people have lives and we're trying to deal with all kinds of different stuff. Yeah. I have had people, I had had um, only a couple of times where the follow-up was like, well, I know you're busy, but like you could you could at least, you know, and, and if you come at, at me that way, that's mm -hmm. that's not, yeah, see, that's, I did <laughs> I had those, correct. I had the same face and it was about, <laughs> and it was more than anything about like, that's just rude. I mean, yes. that's not even, that's not good manners. It's also not a smart way to advance one's career. So right. just, you know, be, be persistent. 
Um, and um, I think, you know, just having a sense of what you really love, mm -hmm. but also being open to other opportunities. Circling back to, you know, I, I wanted to write. I was open to this opportunity at Film Roman, which is where I started in animation mm -hmm. and, and discovered that I loved the medium. Yeah. So, you know, keep your North Star, but be open to multiple stars. Right. You know? Look at the whole Whatever constellation. Yes. <laughs> yes. Look at the constellation. Yes. No, so you need to hashtag that one. Um, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> because you never know what you might discover about yourself or, or mm -hmm. you would discover another something else that lights you up. And that's, that's amazing. That is amazing. I love that. Um, our next question comes from Alice. Hi, Alice. Uh, she wants to know, she said, this might be repetitive, but what are some narratives you hope to see in the future, whether from you directly or supported by your work too? Mm -hmm. um, so narratives in terms of the kinds of storytelling and storytellers. Um, I'm I am very interested in supporting, currently, primarily because of uh, the Jim Henson Company and, and sort of what their brand and what they're known for, um, promoting um, African diasporic and um, um, Latinx Native Nations uh, science fiction and fantasy mm -hmm. um, storytelling. Um, that's something that we're, we're really uh, passionate about and pursuing uh, actively at Henson right now and super interesting and important to us. Um, and that's certainly, you know, sci-fi and fantasy don't necessarily mean it has to, it, there must be dragons. It just means <laughs> that, that it's speculative fiction from uh, worldwide black and brown folk. Um, mm -hmm. LGBTQA. Um, so I'm, what diversity really means in that space, um, we're really trying to be proactive about putting that, uh, that content out and developing content and content uh, creators. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of myself, I mean, it, um, with the Clifton House, the, the um, project that I'm launching in Baltimore, um, um, it's about promoting young storytellers emerging storytellers, but an emerging for me doesn't necessarily mean that they're all children and young people. Um, emerging storytellers just can be, uh, could be an 80 year old who has written and has never been heard. Just wanting to give people the opportunity to have their voices heard, whether in animation or in poetry or in you know, prose, however that uh, shows up for them. Yes. My, my gram actually took a storytelling class oh. uh, with our church a couple of years ago oh. and um it was really beautiful and then she shared it at our family reunion her, her it was called get on the bus um <laughs> and it was talking about uh her involvement in the civil rights movement and wow. she went to tuskegee um for for undergrad and everyone's like are you gonna go are you gonna march like let's go like let's march and she she went back and kept saying like get on the bus get put on your oh. shoes like put your put your panties in your purse and let's go let's not worry about it like you know wow. so um i think that that's beautiful that no matter what your identity is or where you are in your life that um you can be an emerging writer and you can yes. still like make sure that your story gets out there yes 
Alice also said, someone needs to animate N.K. Jemison, please. <laughs> um, I will say there have been conversations. That's probably as much as I can say right now. Okay. Um, they leave it there. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> she says, OMG, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So that's a that's a little that's a little tea in this conversation series. That's I'm nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so I was thinking that for the well, let me see if we have another question in the chat. Actually, okay. Um, I was seeing that I was thinking that we could end um, on a little bit of a light note with giving you some rapid fire questions for this or that. Ooh, okay. They're all related to food. Um, right. There are wrong answer. No, I'm just kidding. There's no <laughs> wrong answer. <laughs> There's okay. no wrong answer. <laughs> just okay. just want to see uh, how you feel about different things. So this or that first one is sweet or savory? Savory. Same. Cake. Or pie? Pie. Mm, okay. Bagels or donuts? Bagels. Uh, yes. Pizza or pasta? Ooh. Pizza. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, that one's really hard. Um, rice or noodles? Noodles. I'm a noodlehead too. Um, <laughs> fruits or veggies? Veggies. Breakfast or brunch? This was a big one. Breakfast or brunch or lunch or dinner? Oh man. This isn't rapid, is it? I know. No, it's okay. It's okay. Dinner. Dinner. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, sparkling or still? Still. Sandwiches or wraps? Ooh, wraps. Okay. Finally, I think I might actually, I don't know if I know the answer to this one. I'm just, I'm projecting, but biscuits or croissants? Oh, have to be biscuits. Oh, wow. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You got a thousand points. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Because a couple times it's like, oh, I, that was the wrong answer. I can tell. No, no. <laughs> that is all right. I love all of these things. So it is, yeah. 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 Um, I'm going to just go back and check and see if we had any more questions okay. in the chat. Let's see. Oh, it looks like, uh, okay. We have a question from Ani. She wants to know, can you tell us more about the Clifton House? Oh, thank you. So, yes, I can. Um, so the <laughs> Clifton House is essentially a, um, an artist workshop and residency space uh, that I'm launching in my childhood home in Baltimore, Maryland. Mm -hmm. um, the quick backstory is that um, this is the house where my mom's poetry uh, career took off. Uh, we moved there from Buffalo to Baltimore in uh, 1968. Uh, my mom's first book, Good Times, was published in 1969, and her career just took off from there. Um, my parents actually lost the house to foreclosure, um, mm. 
1979, I believe. Um, I think 79. And so the house stood, it was the last house really where my, uh, both parents, my siblings and I really had like this really solid family unit. We didn't sort of split up after that. We certainly came back together and lived in other places, but it was a really, it was um, a, a childhood trauma, I think for my siblings mm -hmm. and I, and for my parents. So um, my mom who passed away in 2010 uh, on February 13th uh, was her new book, her new ebook version of uh, Good Woman was coming out. I reached out on February 13th, 2019, I reached out to the owner of the house because I sort of corresponded with her to ask her what the status was. And she told me that that was the anniversary of my mom's passing, that the house had gone on the market that day. So yes, <gasps> yes, I get chills every time I tell that story, but it's truth. And so I decided that I wanted to be considered a buyer to reclaim the house. I, I had zero reason to believe I could do it because financially it's like, I live in California. This one mortgage is a trip. So right. I, you know, <laughs> this is going to be interesting. Um, but I felt like it was a sign. So mm -hmm. jumped through much through many hoops. I ended up buying the house and reclaiming it for the family. I was originally just going to use it sort of as a, this is the place I stay when I come back to Baltimore to visit family. Um, and one morning I just woke up and knew what it had to be. Um, because this was a place that was a sanctuary for young artists, writers, and, and, and activists when we were growing up. That, those, those are the people who my parents had coming in and out of the house. Wow. And where my sense of who I was as an artist really was born. And I wanted to give that back to the community. I wanted to, that the house felt like it needed that vibe in there still. And um, so that's what we launched. We've had such support from the National Trust for Historic Places, the African-American Cultural Heritage Action Fund. We received a grant from um, Eve Ensler, the um, playwright uh, now known as V, from her V-Day Foundation. She was the first um, um, support we received. And then last year, we received a $750,000 grant from the Andrew Mellon Foundation. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, we, we have work to do, and I am mm -hmm. blessed and honored to be able to do it uh, and, and continue the legacy of my parents. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, that was beautiful. It sounds, I mean, it is serendipitous. And um, the, the way that you described it, it, it sounds like a beautiful way to reclaim and make space. Yes, for people yes 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 thank you for Absolutely. doing that oh wow thank you <laughs> that made me a little emotional <laughs> goodness wow yes. thank you it's, thank you <laughs> well i'm looking in our chat now and i don't see that we have any more questions um let's see covered everything and here okay so yes thank you so much for thank you joining us today and for sharing your story um you. it was a pleasure a pleasure and honor thank you so much for meeting me <laughs> yeah. this was so amazing um <laughs> I was trying to like take notes and do quotes, but I was like, I really want to soak this in. So <laughs> I have, this was amazing. 
Thank you to you both. Thank you guys so much for making this such an amazing episode. Um, it was such, it was so filling and nurturing listening to you two talk. Um, and I'm just so grateful that you guys were able to share that piece of yourselves with us and just to do it so authentically and genuinely. Like, I really appreciate you guys um, and everything that you did. For our listeners, please, please I'm sure to follow Sydney on Instagram and on Facebook at Sydney Clifton and her nonprofit house at Clifton House Baltimore. Okay. And again, thank you to Frankie for her beautiful work and all the thought that she put into this and all the care that she took. Um, and thank you, Sydney, for just, just, for just being you <laughs> and bringing that to the table. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you for having um, me. So Chatham community, if you want to see what it takes to be in Frankie's seat as a moderator for future episodes, please click the <laughs> link posted in the chat to fill out the submission form, okay? Um, you can also email us at craftchatham.edu um, for further information. If you have suggestions for future guests or topics, feel free to access that link as well, okay? Um, do you please take a few minutes after our survey. It should automatically pop up once we're done with this, um, once I close it out. But please take a few minutes to fill out our survey and let us know what we can do to continue to improve the series and how we can, you know, have this being an ongoing thing. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And then last and certainly not least, please join us next week at 9 a.m., 6 a.m., Pacific time for Taste of Place, a conversation on food tourism with Rebecca McKenzie. Uh, Quayla Allen, she asked a few of the questions. She's a food studies major um, and she's going to be interviewing Rebecca McKenzie, who's the CEO and president of the Culinary Tourism Alliance in Ontario, Canada. And we're going to be discussing how our organization is working to ensure food tourism is a meaningful and sustainable contributor to local economies and destinations worldwide. So again, thank you guys so much for your time. And I hope you guys have a good day. And everybody, I'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you, Sydney. Thank you so much, Sydney. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>